Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. This is going to be a great hour because Dr. Mark Muska is in studio, and you know that's Ask the Professor. And if you can imagine what this would look like, just imagine like a tin desk with a bare light bulb hanging over it. That's what I'm in right now across the table from him. So I'm going to need your help. I'm going to need your questions. I definitely want you to participate. Get your questions ready. You can email me, you can text me, or you can call. And here's the number, 877 877- Nine three three two four eight four eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. That's the phone call or a text line. You can also email me, Bill at myfaithradio.com. So that's the plan for the hour. We're gonna take sixty seconds and when we come back, I will start peltering Mark with your questions. Be back in a minute. I can't wait to spend my Saturday in the hot sun, slapping away bugs and pulling weeds. Said no one ever, but when those tomatoes land on your salad and burst open in your mouth, the hot sun is a distant memory. Welcome to Faith Radio. The day-to-day life of faith and service isn't always easy, but as you listen, we hope you find encouragement that lifts your spirits, because the seeds you plant do produce a harvest, and God's harvest is always worth it. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. It's encouragement and hope for your daily journey. It is a joy to contribute. We're glad to participate knowing that the station continues to get better and better. It goes farther and farther, and we're just getting the good news out. So that's one of the major donations that we like to make, and we like to encourage people to do the same thing. We get far more out of it than we'd ever be able to put into it, I can assure you that. Thanks for being part of the family of Faith Radio. Welcome back. This is your humble host, Bill Arnold. I was just uh, used the expression "peltering," and Mark already corrected me. It's pelting. So you can't do either one. <laughs> All right, let's talk about this interesting. It's supposed to be friendly here. I, it is friendly. I'm very friendly. You can't I like pelt you very much. Someone friendly. Okay. Well, I was just going to try to fire questions at you. Okay, that's yeah. better. Yeah, that's better. Well, fire is worse than pelting. That's true. Let's look at this passage, Mark. Acts 20 mm-hmm. says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Mm-hmm. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Who are these savage wolves? And are they around today? Yeah, uh, it looks like it's people in the flock. Because he says there in verse 29, Savage wolves will come in among you and they come out from you. And so this is, uh, this is the, the constant vigilance that the church has to have for sound teaching. And there's no guarantees that it's just going to continue on. You have to diligently guard against false teaching. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough to just kind of coast until it's too late, and then all of a sudden you've got a problem on your hands. He's, yeah. he's saying a shepherd is on guard for that wolf. And yeah. He says here, 
the, to shepherd the church. Uh, that, that's the word we get the word pastor from, to pastor the church or shepherd the church. And the wolves are going to come in for the sheep. So you're responsible for uh, watching out for that flock. It's something that uh, is one of the more sober uh, responsibility mm-hmm. of those who lead the church. Yeah. It's not all fun and games. I Sometimes you go through real hardship and difficulty because you get challenged, and these wolves don't always present themselves as such. Mm-hmm. You, uh, we've got that t- common statement about wolves in sheep's clothing, and so it can be uh, it can be subtle. But uh, of course, we have these kinds of things. In fact, I think you could make a case today, Bill, that the church is more vulnerable because of internet access where just about anybody can post anything online they want to right. about what the Bible says or what Christians believe. And uh, there's there's not this vetting process that takes place uh, in earlier re- years where hopefully if somebody's going to teach in your church, you, you vet them, you, you check them out and make sure that they have uh, the, the background and the teaching to be able to teach well. You pelt them with questions. I don't know about that. Okay. But, yeah, but that seriously, that is a part of yeah. many ordination uh, processes that pastors go through. Is they will have a ordination exam, and I've been on a couple of those examining committees where you can ask somebody just about anything. Yeah. And uh, depending on how they answer, they should be able to answer. And it's not just true doctrine, but it's also having to do with. Um, uh, current issues of the day as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think the church's relationship is to the government and those kinds of things? And so some of those can be very grueling that uh, that uh, potential uh, or, ordinance are, are uh, really put the, through their paces. Yeah. Now, the rest of that verse uh, that I want to include, Mark, says, even from your own number, men will yes. arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Yep. So that's really a scary thought that there this are... This isn't coming in from the outside. No, I know this These is from the inside. These are people potentially right uh, there. I know. It's one of the, uh, the saddest things that can happen. Drawing, uh, drawing people away and distorting the truth. Yes. That's really scary. Yep. So be on guard. That's mm-hmm. how the, the verse ends, so be on guard. All right, uh, Kevin is uh, calling in from Roseville. Oop, I think he just disappeared. Uh, we, we had him on, and he just... Uh, maybe he'll call back. Um, here's another question that just came in. Ask the professor how we as Christians need to pray. This topic is of interest to me. That's from Jesse in Burnsville. Good question, Jesse. Prayer is a fancy word for communicating with God. And uh, this is something that's necessary because uh, the Bible uh, talks about God having several very close relationships with us uh, for uh, several terms for that relationship. He is our father. He is our friend. Uh, the spirit is our companion, our helper. And so, of course, wouldn't you talk and communicate with that person that is uh, that loves you and wants to be closer to you than you want to be closer to him? And so uh, prayer, I think that's, you know, the bottom shelf, Bill, that that's, that's the foundation, the groundwork for anything else. So mm-hmm. When we have concerns and we're worried, we bring those anxieties to him, First Peter 5, he, because he cares for us. Mm-hmm. And so we talk to him about those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philippians 4, that with prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Uh, this is, uh, uh, sometimes we formalize prayer a little bit too much. There is a formal component to prayer, but I really like breaking it down kind of the, to the kindergarten level to yeah. say, oh, I like it. Let's, let's talk with this creator, this father, this friend, this companion, and talk to him about anything and everything. 
uh, that's uh, what prayer is all about. I think a lot of people maybe were raised with this in the church where uh, we have this relationship with God and we we communicate to him through prayer and he communicates to us through his word. Mm-hmm. And so those are the two foundational Christian disciplines that we talk about, his mm-hmm. input from God's word and then communicating with him. Yeah. Mark, guess who's back? I don't know. Kevin. Is it Kevin? Yeah, Kevin from Roseville. Hey, Kevin. Nice to have you back on. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, I had a wanted to ask a question on uh, the chronological order of the Bible versus, you know, just the way it was, regular Bible was written. And uh, I've, I've read through the Bible each way, mm-hmm. and in order to try to help me better understand stuff in the Bible, so... I was wondering, is it true that uh, the chronological order of the Bible is when the books of the Bible were actually written, and then the regular Bible was written the way it happened? Is that is that true, do you think? Or? Not quite. Uh, that You can talk about the chronology of the Bible as far as the way that the story is told. And so we can look at this, uh, that uh, certain historical events took place before others. And so if you study the the Bible chronologically, you study these books in the, the historical order in which these events took place. But there's other books that aren't narrative books, that aren't telling a story, aren't telling us history. Uh, they're letters in the New Testament or books, the prophets in the Old Testament. And then we do attempt to do what you're talking about with, we try to place those prophets, for example, in the Old Testament where they fit in the history of the Old Testament. Uh, I like to have my students do a little, uh, a silly little uh, uh, exercise uh, the first day of Old Testament class where I take, I tell them to put their left hand and hold from Genesis through the end of uh, Esther in their left hand and then in their right hand hold uh, Job all the way through the end of the Old Testament with Malachi. And I tell them that all that's in their right hand fits somewhere into the history of what's in their left hand, that all the historical books of the Old Testament are in their left hand, and they end with Esther, and then the poetry and the prophets fit in there someplace. So we can date uh, books to uh, the time in which they were written. So many of the Psalms written during the time of King David, well, that comes in the historical part of the Old Testament in First uh, and Second Samuel, for example. So we, we date it. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, Kevin, but we date the writing of these books, the poetry, the prophets, the letters of Paul and Peter, into the history where it fits in the way that it's written. But the Bible's books are not arranged chronologically that we have to deduce how they fit together. They're they're arranged thematically rather than uh, chronologically. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a little break. Uh, we would uh, love your questions. Let, let us know what they are, 877-933-2484. You can c- call and come on the show and speak to us. You can send us a text message to 877-933-2484, or you can also email me if you're comfortable emailing Bill at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. We're back with Dr. Mark Muscom, Ask the Professor Hour. We'd love your questions, and they're coming in like crazy. 
We already have Bob on the line uh, from Edina. Bob, welcome to the show. You have a question for Mark? Hey, Bob. Yes, thank you. And thanks for having this segment of the show. It's always terrific. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for My listening. question is, why is there not a version of the Bible that has when God speaks or when Jesus in his pre-incarnate version speaks in the Old Testament? Why isn't there a red-letter version of that? Yeah, that's a pretty good question, Bob. I don't have any idea. Yeah, I that, like that question. This is this is obviously not something that's a part of the inspired scripture to make different colored type in the scripture. That's something that editors and publishers do when they publish Bibles. And so this has been very popular over time to have New Testament with the words of Jesus in red so you can see what his uh, words are. Uh, but there is no, uh, as far as I'm aware of, Bob, there's no Old Testament corresponding uh, words of God in red out there. I suppose it would be fine to do something like that. Uh, some of the books uh, would be almost all red. Uh, my wife and I have been reading about the uh, the uh, instructions for the tabernacle in the book of Exodus, and that's just a God going. And the <laughs> same thing with Leviticus. He tells uh, uh, Moses pretty much to sit down and write down everything he says at the beginning of Leviticus. He, Moses comes into the tabernacle, and here we go with the, the law there. So, uh, But I don't know. I, my, my answer is going to sound crass, Bob, because I don't think that publishers and editors have seen profit in doing that, that usually that motivates them to serve the church and to give us good translations and then to do things that will be popular and that will help sell Bibles too. And so I don't think there's been the kind of need out there demonstrated to have red-letter Old Testament Bibles. Mm-hmm. I think that... Mark, the first time I I read a verse was in Isaiah chapter 1, where I thought that should be red letter. And Mm -hmm. where it says in verse 18, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. I, the Lord, have spoken. Yeah, yeah. I can I can make a case for it. Maybe some publishers listening that sees this as a viable service to the church. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I never. Here's another question from a listener. I never understood why Jacob was blessed after wrestling with an angel slash God. Yeah, that's over in Genesis 32, and uh, Jacob was blessed even though he did uh, several things that weren't really on the up and up. Uh, that he was quite a character. That. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, cheated his brother a couple different times, and his brother was like the Genesis version of Arnie Schwarzenegger, where he was big and strong, and he could have taken Jacob and ripped him in two, but he uh, cheated him out of his birthright and then out of his blessing. But uh, in Genesis 32, it talks about uh, that uh, uh, Jacob is, uh, uh, he's, uh, verse 24, it says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of David, uh, Jacob's thigh was dislocated when he wrestled with him. And uh, this man says to him, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go until, unless you bless me. And that sounds exactly like Jacob. It does. He's, he's persistent. He's going to get what he wants. Yeah. And so Still maneuvering. He does get blessed from this. And now where we realize that Jacob at least realized that this was God that had done this. Because after he's gone... It says in verse 30, 
So Jacob named the place Penel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. And so this is what we call a theophany, where God manifests himself in a tangible form, where we can touch him, see him, hear him, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jacob is blessed here. I think he's blessed for his persistence, that he would not just give in, even when this man, who is a theophany of God, touches his leg and he's got his his hip out of joint. Anybody who's had that happen knows that's nothing to to shout about. That's Mm -hmm. a significant thing. So uh, Jacob, I think he, uh, seriously though, Bill, I think Jacob is a great illustration in the book of Genesis of salvation by grace through faith. Because if he had to do anything to get himself saved, he was in trouble because he really was a scoundrel at times and what he did. But God nevertheless passed on the blessing of Abraham through Jacob and then through Jacob to his 12 sons who became the 12, tribe of, 12 tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about you, but that gives me great encouragement to know that my status with the Lord is not dependent on me living perfectly and and uh, uh, walking through the lily, so to speak, with just no problems and yeah. no issues. Uh, he takes us warts and all, just like he did with Jacob here. It's comforting to me as well. Mm-hmm. Another girl, a caller on the line, Lisa, is calling in from Minnesota. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, Lisa. Hey, thank you. Hi. Hey, uh, here's my question. I hope I can ask it without it being too confusing. But I have a, <laughs> I, I, I have a problem with some of the promises in the Bible, knowing okay. if they really are promises to me that I'm a Gentile or that were those promises just for the Jews, you know, in the Old Testament, I, I guess, yeah. I guess, how do I identify really what a promise is to me? Because I, I, I wish there was a book that said, here's all the promises and, uh, and <laughs> for all, all of us, you know, instead of, I, I guess I have a problem with that. Yeah, and, and I don't question. know how to identify it. Yeah. It would be nice if those were like in red letters in our Bibles, that we, if, yeah. we, if we had these promises, we could know for sure. So uh, this is especially an issue in the Old Testament. There are some New Testament issues as well, but it's an issue not so much about interpreting what God is promising, but applying that promise. Does it apply to me, or was it restricted to the time in which uh, it was written to the people that it was given to? And especially in the Old Testament, this is a question because God's covenant people are the nation of Israel. And uh, we don't have that kind of national relationship with God today. We come to God by faith through the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of our nationality and ethnicity. Uh, that is irrelevant now. So what, is, uh, what, what do we take uh, from this? For example, when God, one of the favorite promises in the book of Jeremiah, people uh, wear this uh, around their necks, the verses from Jeremiah, where it says, I know the plans that I have for you, a future and a hope uh, that uh, I'm going to bless you. And so uh, if you look at the context of that in Jeremiah, God is promising Israel, in this case, Judah, that they are going to go into exile and really suffer. Mm-hmm. But then after that, he is going to bless them and restore them. And so it really fits with Judah with Israel at that time in the Old Testament. But what I like to tell people, Lisa, is that if you back off, though, and look at this promise as far as who God is and the way he operates, there's a timelessness to that because Mm, God never changes. And so we may not be able to claim exactly what those Jews were claiming there during the days of Jeremiah, but the principle is still there. And we can look at plenty of other promises in the New Testament that confirm this, that God is for us, 
who can be against us, that he will bless us and he will answer our prayers when we come to him in faith. And so I like to back away and say, what about this passage seems to transcend time that, uh, because God transcends time. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We learn something about God's character, don't we? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. There's another question, Mark. Where do the books of the Apocrypha fit in? Yeah, the, there's Apocryphal books both uh, from the time between the Old Testament and New Testament, and then there's uh, t- books in the New Testament period of time and later. Apocryphal means that these books were not recognized as inspired by God, uh, by the Jews in the Old Testament, and about the, by the church in the New Testament Uh, they are still very valuable to us historically because we can learn a lot about Israel in the Old Testament and the church in its early years in the New Testament. But their teaching did not meet the criteria necessary to be included in what we call the canon of Scripture. Mm -hmm. I don't know if people heard that word before. It's not a canon with a double N. That goes boom and kills people. (laughs) But it's canon with one N in the middle of it, Mm -hmm. and that means a standard or a rule. So we talk about the canon of the New Testament we have 27 books that are recognized by the church as divinely inspired and profitable for teaching, the way Paul would say that in Second Timothy 3.16. Uh, there were many other books, though, written during this time and for the next two or three hundred years that were rejected by the church for one reason or another. One of them that got a lot of attention a couple, uh, well, maybe more than a couple years ago, was the so-called Gospel of Judas, that the National Geographic got a hold of an ancient manuscript and they restored it and they publicized this about the Gospel of Judas purportedly written by Judas, one of the 12 Mm. disciples. But the church rejected this then, and if you look at it and actually read it today, you can see why we'd reject it now today as far as not being up to the standard or the quality of teaching that our books in the Bible have. And so that's considered a New Testament apocryphal book. There are Old Testament ones as well that come during the period of time from the end of the Old Testament history until the times of Jesus. There is a, about 12 writings that uh, the, uh, the uh, some Bibles include that, uh, but they too, at least in Protestant circles, have been rejected as being part of the Old Testament canon. They didn't measure up to the standards that were necessarily uh, necessary to be considered inspired by God. Hmm. All right, we're going to go to break here in about a minute, but we just want to let you know, whatever question you have, uh, let us know what it is. 877-933-2484. If you want to call and speak to us personally, we would love that. If you also just want to send me a text, it is the same number, 877-933-2484. Or if you're just mostly comfortable emailing, you can do that too, bill at myfaithradio.com. Uh, here's a question, uh, Mark. Uh, Lindsay uh, called in from, Vict- or from Victoria and just wanted to ask the professor if he has ever stolen anyone's light bulbs. <laughs> lead the fifth on that You're going to lead the fifth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a friend. Mm-hmm. Having a little fun with you. I yep. love it. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back with lots more. Dr. Mark Muska in studio. Again, the number is 877-933-2484.
Welcome back to the show. Before we get back to Dr. Mark Muska, I just got a National Weather Service announcement. They've issued a flash flood warning for Hennepin and Ramsey, which is already underway. It will end at 7.59 tonight. All right, Mark, let's get back to work. <laughs> 11 seconds. 11 seconds, yeah. yeah. Way to go. All right, here's a question from a listener. Uh, yesterday a friend told me she heard a sermon lately that in order to go to heaven, you needed to ask Jesus into your heart and then be baptized as an adult. She mm-hmm. said she had much discussion with the pastor saying that her interpretation of the Bible is that all we need to do is ask Jesus for forgiveness and for our for our sins and believe in him as our Lord and Savior. What are your thoughts? Also, do we need to be baptized as an adult to go to heaven? Yeah, that's a great question. And the church has not uh, always agreed on that one among Bible-believing uh, Christians, that it's a, a, what I like to talk about is an unsettled question that uh, uh, we can break it down here. First of all, uh, that we are, uh, we receive uh, three great benefits right off the bat when we put our faith in Jesus and the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins and he was raised on the third day, First Corinthians 15. Uh, three benefits are that we receive the forgiveness of sins that our sin debt is canceled and wiped away. It's just like having an overdrawn checkbook Mm -hmm. that the bank just forgives the debt. Uh, We receive eternal life where not only will we live forever, but the life part is emphasized there that it's living to be in the presence of God himself. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, we are reconciled with God or there's be peace now between us and God. And I don't know about you. Those are three big ones for me that forgiveness of sins, eternal life, peace with God. And we receive that when we put our faith and trust and depend on the gospel message being true and that Jesus did, in fact, pay for our sin and give us eternal life and peace with God. So that transaction is, in my opinion, the focal point of this. However, we have to recognize that water baptism is a part of a Christian of a conversion that whether it comes before or after that time of putting uh, one's trust in the gospel message or right at the time of putting your trust in the gospel message, uh, the church has never been able to sort that out completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I don't think we're going to do it this afternoon either. Right. Uh, the important thing is, is that we put our faith in the gospel and depend on Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. And then as an act of obedience, we are commanded to be baptized with water. Uh, this uh, signifies uh, God's cleansing of our sin. Peter talks about this. It also is the way that we identify ourselves as Christians publicly. It's not just some secret decision we made inside our hearts and nobody knows about it. Mm -hmm. When we get baptized with water, this is a public statement that we make both to the Christian world and the world at large. And so baptism, we're commanded to be baptized. Sometimes I talk with students about this bill and I ask them, and have you not been baptized? And there's several that raise their hand and they don't see it as a very big deal. And my response to that is, I don't think you have to go out tomorrow and find someone to baptize you with water, but it isn't something just to be written off as kind of of an optional thing. Mm -hmm. We, We are supposed to be baptized. And uh, this listener's asking, too, here about being baptized as an adult. That's going to be another contentious thing because several traditions will baptize infants. 
uh, Presbyterians will, Roman Catholics will, Lutherans will. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of those have a ceremony once the child is close to adulthood, sometime in middle school or high school age, where they call it the the, uh, uh, process of confirmation of Mm -hmm. their faith, where they were baptized as a child and declaring faith in Jesus as an infant, and now they're confirming that decision to put their trust in the gospel and in Jesus when they uh, get confirmed of eighth grade, ninth grade, something like that in there. So... Mm -hmm. uh, I think the important thing, Bill, especially for those who've been raised in the church and been saying yes to Jesus their whole life, there's a ton of people listening to this radio show. I know that they knelt down next to their bed when they were four years old with their mom and asked Jesus into their heart. And about all they understood at that time was is they did bad things sometimes and Jesus could take that away so we could be <laughs> friends with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to a lot of students, Bill, that say, yeah, I understood that. That wasn't something I was unclear about. Mm -hmm. But then as they grow through the grade school and junior high and high school ages, it's great to be able to confirm that as your understanding and knowledge of the gospel message increases. And so that's why a lot of churches wait until someone becomes at least in junior or senior high before they baptize them because they want them to understand more than a four-year-old would mm-hmm. or a six-year-old would. They want them. In fact, a lot of the time, they'll even quiz the person before they baptize them. Now, why are you being baptized? What does this mean that Jesus died for your sins? And they'll ask them several questions to make sure they understand and they've truly put their faith in the gospel. Yeah. So, uh, again, the church is all over the place on this. I think we have to center in on the most important aspects. And the number one aspect is put your faith and trust in the gospel message and depend on Jesus to cleanse you from your sins through his death on the yes, cross. Yes, believe and, and you will be saved. Yes. Cling and to, then, rely upon, put your trust in. And then make it a point to demonstrate that through water baptism. Excellent. Let's uh, talk to a guest on our studio line that wishes to remain anonymous. Welcome to the show. You have a question for Mark. Hi there. Yes, hello, and thank you again, Mark, for your ability to elucidate and clarify so many different uh, uh, subjects that relate to Scripture. I really appreciate it. So I have one a little different context. Uh, I have a granddaughter, and she is just very young, you know, 9, 10 years old. How would I explain to her in uh, clarity and yet simple enough without getting really scientific? Uh, she asks, well, where did Adam and Eve's children procure husbands and wives if they just came from the same parents? And then how did the different skin colors originate? How would you respond to a 10-year-old? Yeah, that's a good question because as you're saying there that this is uh, you have to try to couch it to somebody whose understanding is going to continue to grow and uh, so uh, you're you're kind of you're limited in what you're able to to say. Uh we don't get a great deal of uh input from the Bible on this and so I don't like to speak with too much confidence on this issue. We get into theories of origins and evolution gets in here and all the different ideas about how we understand the beginning of everything. And uh, this is a question that's left wide open. And I think I'd say that, first of all, to your granddaughter, that uh, this is something that we're curious about. But in God's wisdom, he just did not consider it important enough to inform us in any great detail about Uh, who Adam and Eve's children uh, married, Uh, Seth, for example, uh, Cain and Abel, at least until 
uh, a, 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 Cain, a Cain lived longer than Abel. But who did they marry? Uh, did they marry their siblings? I know for a 10-year-old, uh, probably the response would be something like, ew, to that. Uh, as they look at their brother across the table from them. And so uh, it's possible, but a whole different context. At the beginning of creation, we just don't know. And so I don't like to speak with uh, very great confidence with that. As far as ethnicity and different uh, 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 colored skin of of people across the globe, uh, that I think is a little bit more uh, uh, understandable as far as uh, with the climates and the exposure to the sun and how all of that played into the human genetic uh, code over the centuries and over the generations, I can easily see where there would be differences there uh, among people who lived on different continents. I know that's insufficient, though, because, for example, for those who are uh, black or African-American or African descent, uh, there's very close genetic similarity between those that come from the continent of Africa and those who live out in the Polynesian islands way the heck out there in the Pacific Ocean. And so (laughs) what happened there? Mm -hmm. How is that possible? That's a real head-scratcher. So I I guess I'd try to impress that 10-year-old that there's going to be a lot more questions here than you're going to be able to answer adequately. And so uh, I would urge you to uh, to uh, to con- ha- uh, to encourage her to p- focus on the questions the Bible does speak clearly about, because that's what God wanted us to know. And for some reason, maybe he didn't want us to be distracted too much by all these other curious questions. I've got about 50 of them that come out of the book of Genesis alone. I just don't understand how that happened or what what was going on there. And in God's wisdom, he's telling me, uh, yeah, you don't need to know, Mark. You know, focus on what it does say and really devote yourself to that. It's a great question. Thank you so much. I just had this idea. I might start renting you out to family dinners. Really? Yeah, where I could rent you out, Whoa. and then you go to someone's house and answer all their questions and Man. get a meal, and then hmm. you send me some commission money. You'd be my agent. <laughs> I would be your agent. Wow. See, this is where how I, great ideas start. Man, I don't know about great. I think, idea, great. So. I think it's great. I think it's great. Yeah. All right, <laughs> let me ask you this, Mark. As a listener says, why do we have to pray? People request prayers for themselves from others as if God is going to answer the prayers of those people because so many others are praying for them. God gives us what we need regardless of how many people are praying for us or praying for a certain thing. Yeah, this is where we just have to go with what the Bible says, that there is great power in those who agree in prayer. Uh, Just if you can get one more person to come with you with a prayer request that... It's, it's settled. If two can agree on a prayer request, God says that he will hear it. And so there, I don't know how this works again, Bill. Maybe God will explain it to us someday. But there is a, a great uh, uh, a connection that takes place when we share these things with others. And there's petitioning going on uh, oftentimes by great numbers of people who are petitioning God for certain things. Uh, why God does that? Uh, I got my theories, but I can't prove any of them, and so I don't know if I should mention any of them. Mm -hmm. I think it's a terrific way for us to grow closer and intimate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't think I've ever gotten as close to people in my life as I have with people that I share prayer requests with, because then you usually get down to the nitty-gritty. You're not praying about the twins winning the game tonight. You're praying about something that's on your heart, and and you're revealing yourself to that person, and it builds a love and a bond between you and the person to mm-hmm. be able to share those requests. So that there's a lot of residual 
benefits to this besides the idea that God says his ear is attentive when we we uh, bring these prayers before him in in number. Mm-hmm. All right, here's another question, Mark. Could you help us understand when hell was created and by whom? Yeah, wow. Was hell in existence when... Well, I'm I'm thinking about it had to be created because I'm thinking about one verse out of the blue in Matthew chapter 25 in the parable or, or when Jesus is talking about the judgment and all the nations come before him and they're divided into sheep and goats. Mm-hmm. And he talks 25, about... 25, Matthew 25, isn't it? Yes. And uh, he says in uh, Matthew t- uh, 25 uh, to the goats who are... are uh, doomed because they have not done what God gave them to do. Let me read Matthew twenty five forty one, where it says, Then he, the one on the throne, the Son of Man, uh, Jesus, he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So that tells me it had a starting point. Yeah. And it was originally made with the fall of Satan and these demons, so that they... Uh, this is what the, their future looks like, is this place of fire. So it was created in there someplace, but then when did the fall of Satan take place? Ooh, here we go again with another question we can't answer really right. well in the timeline there. All right, let me take a little break. When we come back, we'll have one more segment with Dr. Mark Muska. Let us know what your questions are. We so appreciate all the listeners that are uh, asking questions. So thank you so much for those who have asked. And uh, 877-933-2484 is our number whether you want to speak to us live or if you want to send me a text. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Mark Muska is in studio. We're taking questions We've got some great questions today, so thank you for those. People are really thinking, Bill. You know, they they're, are. They're, they're reading their These Bible are... with a pencil. They're thinking and they're working this stuff through. And I wish I could give answers to all their questions, but sometimes we just can't. But oh, bravo to people that are really, re- really working the Bible. Yeah, I've got a personal question, Mark. Um, how how do we listen to God? Yeah. This is really, really uh, important, and the church, again, is all over the place with this bill, where lots of people will say that they go into their private devotional time or quiet time with God, and they will pray, and then they'll sit there quietly and wait to hear the voice of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, this, I understand it because I have had times when I'm sure that God has, in quotes, spoken to me in my conscience. I've never heard the audible voice of God. There's plenty of testimonies that will say that, Mm -hmm. that they have actually heard an audible voice. But even within your heart to hear and to hear this, the closest I can come to this is it's an impression that's more than just a feeling, that it's it's a compulsion. Oftentimes it's something that I need to do or something I need to read or something like that. And afterward, I can see it, that God was making a divine connection there with somebody else or something else going on that I wasn't aware at the time. And so I, I respect that when people say that they've heard God. I, I get a little uneasy, however, when people 
just kind of do the quiet thing and want to hear the voice of God, and they're disappointed or they think there's something wrong with them if they don't hear the voice of God inside their conscience or inside their heart, inside their uh, inner person. Uh, I got two things to say about that. Number one is you want to hear the voice of God for sure, pick up your Bible and read it. Amen. That's where I go to hear it. Well, that's one we can take to the bank. Yes. This is God. And he providentially, he will teach us in passages we read, and that may blindside us as well. My wife and I had a great time the other day. We're reading through Exodus, and uh, in Exodus 23, it was just fantastic about the first nine verses. And, of course, I picked up my 3 by 5 card, and I wrote down a note to myself, so I remembered that. And I'm going to study that more as Mm -hmm. far as the present day of underpinning of what's commanded in the law in Exodus 23. It was stupendous, but I'm sure that God, quote, spoke to us that day through his word, and the Holy Spirit impressed it upon us, opened our eyes to it. Theologians call that the illumination of Scripture. The light bulb gets turned on, and we yeah. see it for what it is. We might have read it a hundred times before, but wow, look at that thing jump off the page at me, and I see it. And so read the Bible if you want to hear the voice of God, and go ahead, be open to the voice of God in your conscience, in your inner person. But I don't know if we should just bank on that to say, well, God will speak to me. And if he doesn't, um, I must have sin in my life or there's something wrong with me or God isn't that good after all. We start all these very dangerous, very unproductive conclusions we start drawing. And I'd be careful about that. Mm. If God wants to speak to you inside your heart or inside your conscience, he'll do it. And it's not an issue of us of having to expect that from God. I think there is something to be said, though, about meditating on God's Word and the things of God, and sometimes that leads. You want truth confessions here too, Bill? I shouldn't probably say this as a Bible teacher, but one of my most fertile times when I sense that connection with God is uh, when my pastor is giving a sermon on Sunday. I should be listening to him, and I should be following along and everything like that, but I get diverted. I'll, I'll look at a passage and all of a sudden, doink, there we go mm-hmm. on, a, on a detour. And off I go into this passage. And my wife thinks I'm out of my mind because I'm sitting there writing this down like crazy on a piece of paper. And she's looking at me and looking at the pastor and saying, you're getting all this out of the pastor. I'm going, no, 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 no. This is something else that, yeah. that's going. But that's a very fertile time for me is during worship services like that, that, that you know, you get your nose in the scripture and you never know where that's going to go. And most of the time it's good. So... I'm open to that, but I'm not seeking it. I don't open my Bible during the sermon and say, okay, God, do it again today. Take me off on some tangent today. I don't know if that's the attitude that we should go in with, but be open to it if, in fact, you see that God is leading you in certain directions, especially as you're reading his word. Mm -hmm. I love this quote uh, from your wife. My wife thinks I'm out of my mind. Oh, yeah. I will also sign that document. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. It's got... been proven through two or three <laughs> witnesses, okay? So, All right, let's, okay. Uh, let's get our caller on the line. She wishes to remain anonymous. Welcome to the show. We have a question for Mark. Hi there. Yes, hi. How are you? Good, thanks. Good, good. good. I love your show, and I try to listen <laughs> almost every day if I can. Okay, um, my question is from Second Samuel um, 2, and I heard this sermon, and it just, you know, kind of bothered me. I, I know the story, but I just have always wondered why. Um, Abner killed Ashiel, and of course Ashiel was uh, as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned about uh, verses 18 through, what, 23, and then he keeps coming and, 
Abner tells him to turn to the right or the left. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, and he's he just keeps running. He's um, a runner. Was was Ashill trying to kill Abner? I mean, yes. Yeah. Oh, he was. He yeah, this is, he's pursuing him not to have a little chat here. You know that this. Oh, not to have a little chat. Oh, yeah, this that's is why an, Abner had to kill him. Huh? Yeah, and and Abner here was a, he was a righteous man. He's portrayed that way in the scriptures. It's a very bad thing when Joab, uh, David's right hand man, kills Abner, and uh, David uh, holds Joab accountable for that because Abner. He was a good man, and he did not want to kill this young man, but he, he was almost forced to do it. Was this because of the two tribes were against each other, that this was part of the battle where they would kill each other, Israel and Judah? Is that why? Uh, n- well, not so much that. Israel is the name of the northern kingdom way after this, after David and, and uh, Saul were dead. This is the, during the times uh, when Saul was king, but then he got killed in battle right. at the end of... Um, First uh, Samuel, and then Abner was uh, Saul's right-hand man. So it was oh. more, and Saul was a Benjaminite. Uh, so oh. uh, it's more the 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 uh, final details had to be taken care of of the transition from Saul and his family ruling, and now David and his family going to rule in Israel. So okay. there Ashel was Ashel and Joab and all of them. The, what tribe were they from? The same one uh, as David. I'm not sure. I'd have to oh. look at that to be sure. But I. Oh, but I, a different one. But Joab was David's man. When he was his chief, you know, commander, right? Well, yeah. And Joab is quite a study because uh, yeah. he did some really good things for David, and he really did some bad things. I yeah. I like to think of him today, and I hate to get political here, but he is the consummate political operative for David, where he's willing to do anything for David for his cause to be advanced. And him to remain on the throne, whether it's right or wrong, Joab will do it. And so, King David thought he had killed too many people, and that's why he told him to. Well, the, get it, rid of him, right? When David was on his deathbed, he charged his son Solomon in First Kings. He said, "Don't let Joab go down right. to Sheol in peace. Right. You make sure that he pays for what he's done." And he even brings it up about how Joab killed Abner. David's thinking about this on his deathbed. Do you think that was clear in the Bible that Ashiel was was after him, was pursuing him, what was wanted to kill him? Would, so Ashiel had a sword with him then too, right? I would I mean, say, just, you know, I th- I think we can infer that because yeah, otherwise this whole scene doesn't make sense. Yeah, so. they were one against the other. Okay, thank you very yeah. much. Thank you for calling. Clear. Yeah, mm-hmm. great question. You know, Mark, sometimes uh, we say things on the air and then people want to know specifically what we mean. A listener just said, what does I would rather err on the side of faith as compared to what? A doubt, I a think. Doubt. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Sometimes we really are hard on doubt. Doubt is when we have questions, when we're uncertain. We read God's Word and we're uncertain if we believe it. And I think sometimes we're too hard on ourselves, Bill, and we think, oh, man, I should believe this. It's right there in God's Word. But we struggle with it, and we have questions about it, or questions like this a woman who just called in trying to understand this passage. We have questions about it. Uh, where did we get this idea that questioning God or questioning the Bible was some kind of a bad thing? That that's the—I uh, mean, I'm an educator. This is the way education takes place, by questioning and by probing and having doubts on things. Most of the of the strongest faith comes from someone who is processed through doubts and questions to get mm-hmm. to that place of faith. Yeah. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with doubt. But then I like what Oz Guinness says about this, too. There's nothing necessarily right about doubt either. 
and sometimes we glorify it. That's what skeptics do. You know, the only thing they're sure about is they doubt everything. Otherwise, you know, they they doubt everything and they glorify it. There's nothing to celebrate about doubt. The challenge for us, especially with God and his word, is to work through those doubts and to resolve them the best we can. And the phrase I just adopted maybe five, six years ago that I think really catches it is that the goal for us is to have a settled faith on things. So we look into our questions and our doubts, but we make a decision. Either I'm going to believe this or I'm not. And so you settle it with God. I may not be able to answer all the questions about this. I may not be able to work through all of the things here in this, but I'm going to choose to believe this. And you just don't come back to it all the time. Mm-hmm. You, you settle it with the Lord. Some people have to do that about their salvation. I had a friend when I was in school, in college, where he had accepted Jesus at a very young age, and he was constantly racked with doubts about whether he was really born again or not. And so I finally got upset with him. I said, you know, what day is it today? And well, you know, July 16, 2019. Okay, I'm going to write that in the front of your Bible. July, are you believing today that do you depend on Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and peace with God? Yeah, I do. Okay, it's in your Bible. Now, I don't want to ever hear this from you again. Settle it. You don't have to have doubts about this anymore. You know, you may not be able to figure out when it started, but today you are, and from now on, it's a settled faith. You're not you're not going to waver on this any longer. Yeah. I certainly hope you enjoyed our time together with Dr. Mark Muska. It's always one of my very favorite hours because I just get to hang with a friend, and it's really, really fun to hear how he responds to all your great questions. Thanks for providing so much uh, great material for us to contemplate today and think about. And if you want to pass this on to a friend, go to MyFaithRadio.com because these are great questions answered uh, so well by Mark. Thank you for listening, and I will see you tomorrow. Have a great night. God bless, and uh, have a good night's sleep. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.